Hi, this is Jonathan with Remnant Bible Fellowship. I have not done anything for this podcast in about seven or eight months. And that's because uh, I've had a lot of stuff going on. And I kind of also took a step back because I had a lot of things on my mind that I needed to think about and pray about. Uh, kind of just really needing direction from the Lord about what to do next. Uh, so just an update. Um, in the time since the last podcast, I think, it, like I said, it was about seven or eight months ago, I have had another child. Well, technically, my wife did. Uh, he nearly died uh, in the hospital when he was about two months old. Uh, virus going around. Uh, th- thank the Lord. He is, you know, happy as all get out. Can't really complain about anything. Um, I had uh, started studying photography and videography, uh, trying to long-term look at getting myself out of the 9-to-5 job that I have and maybe starting up my own business. And so I took classes and all sorts of things. Um, I have taken about 40 credit hours of college classes. That's a separate story altogether. I am no longer pursuing that. Uh, Again, separate story for a different day. Um, um, we also started attending a certain local church. We have since left said church. And some of that actually contributed to one thing that I wanted to talk about today. And that is because there's been something really bothering me. There has been a, just a large pull at, at the back of my mind certain things constantly coming up, constantly being an issue, not only in in local churches, but really in Christianity at large. And really, to just cut a long story short, uh, I have really noticed more and more over the last two, three years, there is very few people that are willing to say that something is wrong. And I don't mean in the sense of sin. I mean in the sense of interpretations about Scripture. And yes, there are things like particular passages where we can not necessarily be completely dogmatic about how something is meant, but when we're talking about wholesale theological systems or doctrines and interpretations about broad ideas like that. There are very few ministries, churches, um, colleges, seminaries that are willing to just bluntly say that view, that interpretation is objectively wrong. It is not Scripture. And in my experience, really the only ones that are truly willing to be dogmatic are the ones who are wrong. I mean, those of you who listen to the podcast for any length of time know that I despise Calvinism. I despise it with a passion. I despise the teaching of eternal security, at least as the idea of a child of God being eternally secure is twisted. Of course, all believers are secure. 
in the sense that as long as they remain a believer, God will protect them. God will preserve them. And there's other things that I could get into, but I was even just listening to something today from a um, from two separate um, ministries that I generally like and support. Uh, one I financially support, but and I'm not going to name them right now. But the issue that I constantly see coming up is people saying something along the lines of, "Well." These are separate issues. They should not. We should not divide over them, and we should just all kind of make sure that we're under the same banner. As long as somebody's Christian, then these other things don't matter. Now, what happens whenever you do that? And I want to explain this for a second because I know anybody who's listening to this has probably heard something along those lines. So what happens if you're in a church, if you are in involved in a ministry or something, and you say something like, well, the, really the understanding of ha- the book of Revelation and whether or not it's future, whether or not it's past, uh, whether or not the millennium is yet future or literal or maybe it's allegorical, um, you know, and things like that, they really don't matter. And so... And again, just this is what you hear sometimes. And so we're just, you know, we're not going to divide about this. We're just, I mean, I've come to certain conclusions that I believe to be true, but I'm not going to say that yours is necessarily wrong. And so we're just not going to get into it. Now, I have heard that so many times in so many ways from college professors, from pastors, from teachers, from people with PhDs, from laymen, from people who were just pastors and teachers on a local church level, in books that are widely regarded. And I want you to understand that yes, there are certain things that we can disagree about and still esteem each other to be Christians. But, logically, scripturally, there is only one interpretation of Scripture that can be correct. And this mentality of, we're not going to parse out the details... We're not going to say that something is objectively wrong. Is nothing else than really relativism. Unintentional, I will say. But I remember reading uh, Eric Ludy's book, The Bravehearted Gospel. I think he wrote it back in 2007 or 2008. And he told me, uh, whenever I did get get to talk to him, uh, Eric Ludy is an author. He's also pastor of a church at Ellerslie. LSU Mission Society, and when he told me, uh, when I got to talk to him, that he he pretty much gave up his whole career as an author to write that book. And I remember the main thrust of his book and what he was dealing with was the emergent church, and really what has seeped into Christianity is relativism, and people don't realize it. 
Um, and the only people who are willing to say certain things are wrong are really Calvinists, you know, or people will draw a line in the sand doctrinally just enough to allow them to do what they want to do without critique. And, uh, for instance, you know, a Baptist will say, well, we're not going to divide over, you know, whether or not that person's a Christian or not, you know, but, you know, we will divide over eternal security, though, you know, or a preacher of rapture, you know, or, depending on the circles, King James onlyism. And so people, denominations, associations, whatever you want to call these different spheres in Christianity, will draw the line to allow themselves to be pretty much beyond critique. And in just even the last couple of weeks ago, uh, the one church that we were attending, again, hadn't been attending very long. My wife had been attending a couple months. And then because the pastor retired, um, I tried to get, whenever I, get there whenever I could because I still work on Sundays. And uh, people were volunteering to teach. Somebody asked if I would be willing to volunteer to teach, not because necessarily they highly regarded me, because they were desperate for people. And I try to be respectful if I am in a church. I don't ever want to try to take any kind of position. So I don't ever ask to teach. I don't ever ask to preach. You know, if I was deeply involved with a church, then that would be different because you're committed long-term to this or that, you know, and then it's your kind of your role as a member of that local body to do so. But I was asked in for a couple of weeks, and then somebody stood up, um, an older uh, woman in, in the Lord, who I don't think understood the implications of what she was teaching, but she was repeating from, and yes, this church allowed um, women to teach, uh, which is a separate issue. Um, I don't think that's right in the context of which they, uh, that denomination allows, but that's, again, a separate issue. And she taught preterism, uh, f- that the idea of Matthew 24 and them have already been fulfilled, so the Antichrist was just flags that the Romans hung out, uh, you know, the an- abomination of desolation, uh, and everything like that. Matthew 24, Revelation is mostly fulfilled, you know, so I think she was, re- but she was just repeating what a commentary said. And my wife and I looked at each other and were just like horrified. One, because this is not even what that denomination believes. And, and I kind of waited and my wife waited, you know, it's like, you have this kind of momentary, I need to say something. And again, I don't want to belabor the point, but this kind of was something just really kicking me the last couple of weeks, kind of leading up to a decision that I made that I'll get into in a minute. And after the woman was done, I really don't think that a single person in that church understood what she was teaching. Because frankly, most of them did not un- don't understand doctrine. They don't understand their Bibles. And I'm talking about people in their 70s who've probably been in church most of their life, and some of them, you know, mind mind you, were very young Christians, but most of the people in that room were the elders, uh, uh, not elders, I'm sorry, the board members of that church. And when nobody said anything, I stood up and I asked if I could say something, and, you know, it didn't bother anybody, so I walked to the front and I said, you know, I pretty much said that, 
you know, in a very gracious way, acknowledging that I'm, I wasn't pastor or anything like that, you know, but I lovingly said that I was going to have to teach the next week because I was slated to teach the next week that why and show why a lot of what that woman had said was unscriptural and dangerous. And I tried as much as I could to be gracious, uh, to be loving in how I said so. And it was not the next, uh, I think Monday, because that was a Wednesday, that I got a call from somebody on the board who asked me to never teach again. And I had a long conversation with that person. And it really opened my eyes to the state of that church. And mind you, there were some people who were part of that church who did not like how anything was handled or anything. Okay, so not everybody at that church. But this person kind of lied to my face, and not to my face, but via the phone, you know, and told me that everybody was upset, you know, and this or that. And I put him on the spot, and I said, well, can you give me one scripture that says that anything that I did was wrong? Because they were upset that I said that somebody was wrong and that I said so publicly. And so I referenced Paul rebuking Peter publicly. And they couldn't answer that. And I said, well, can you give me a single scripture that says in any way that what I did was wrong? They couldn't answer that. And, and I said, well, they taught this publicly. So I corrected it publicly. And I will not forget what he said to me. He said, well... We're just trying to keep the peace, and where we're between pastors, you know, we don't want to scare anybody away. And I said, well, some people, if if they get scared away by truth and correction, they need to go away. And that was kind of the tone of the conversation for a while, and it ended as friendly as it can be, but my wife and I have not been back to that church. I don't, and I want to say this, I don't care if I teach in the sense of, I desire to teach. I desire believers to, to be edified, to be built up, to be encouraged, to be to grow in the knowledge of the Lord, and in their walk with the Lord. That's what I want personally as a believer. I want that of other believers for other believers. But I don't seek out positions to teach. I don't. Usually, I'm asked for something if I do at all. And. I have a tendency to upset people sometimes because I will say that something is wrong. And so what struck me so much about what happened was, and it's kind of not the first time this has happened, was that they were not afraid of anything except that I said somebody was wrong. And I've seen that in other ministries. I've heard that from people who I highly regard, and they are unwilling to say that something is wrong. And I I just, this is a cancer in the body of Christ. And I want to clarify, and those of you who've listened to the podcast before can tell, uh, who've listened for me for a period of time, again, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've put anything on the podcast, and so and I will try to segue into a main kind of announcement. But those of you who've listened for a long time, some of you who listen listen for a couple of years, uh, some of you have talked to on the phone, and 
And actually, some of you have actually have actually stayed the night at my house and came from out of state. You know, so yeah, yeah. I see you, Jesse and Je- and um, and Jackson. Um, the I'm really bothered by this, but those of you who know and have known me know that I will listen if somebody takes the time to think that I'm wrong and they contact me, they say something, I listen to. And I listen to any time somebody has that conversation. Why? Because being willing to say that something is wrong and you know why this particular thing is wrong, and you can say so from a position of understanding. You can give reasons. You know the arguments for it and can explain why those reasons are wrong and give further reasons why this other reason may be correct as opposed to that. Now, if you want to break it down logically, what I mean is you do not have to have perfect universal knowledge to say that one particular thing is wrong. And this is one of the flaws between atheism and anything else, right? Um, an atheist says there is no God. They are, ex- they are asserting a universal statement, saying there is no God, right? And there's a way in which they might try to wiggle out of that, but that's what they're saying. Because they'll say it's a particular, and it's like, no, if you're atheist, you're saying there is no concept of God at all. It'd be different if somebody said there is no God of the Bible, but then they would be leaving the door open for another concept of God. But that's not what an atheist does. And so they are asserting a universal negative. There is no God. There is no concept of God that is true is pretty much what they're saying. Now, in order for that to be true, they have to have all knowledge of all things to say that nowhere in the universe is there a God. Right? You see how that works. In order for me to say... There is a God. All I have to do know is one particular thing, that there is a God. I don't have to have universal, perfect knowledge. I have to know one particular thing that is true, right? And this is what I'm meaning and how that affects daily Christian life. I don't have to know everything about all passages in the Scriptures universally, perfectly, historically, systematically, to be able to say that one particular thing or interpretation is wrong. I don't have to have perfect knowledge. I just have to have particular knowledge, like Calvinism. I mean, in my experience, I know more about Calvinism than most Calvinists. Whenever I say that compatibilism is wrong— in the sense of how Calvinists mean it, I know and can explain from their own reasons and understanding and defenses why it is wrong. I can state it in such a manner that they understand and would say, yes, that is what we believe, and I can then tell them why that is wrong. Now, I'm not a scholar by any stretch of the means, but in my limited knowledge, I know enough about it to say why it's wrong. And I can say with 100% certainty, it is objectively wrong. I don't care if that offends anybody. A pre-trib rapture, I can say with 100% certainty, a pre-trib rapture is not biblical. It's not historical, it's not biblical, it's not even likely. Because 
I know all the ins and outs of it. I've read it. I used to teach it. All those things. I've read and know all about it, all the defenses, down to the Greek words and things like that. I can tell you from a place of complex time and study, it is objectively wrong. Now, the fact that I'm willing to say that that's wrong offends people. Even people who agree that they think those things are wrong. And it's that attitude that I... It is is a cancer on the body of Christ. It is a cancer. Because when you go down that road, what you end up with is what I kind of call least common denominator Christianity. We're going to not talk about the peripherals, quote-unquote peripherals, because somebody's going to arbitrarily draw the line somewhere and say, well, if it doesn't make you not a Christian, therefore it's not important. I'm sorry, that's not in the Bible. Every doctrine touches Christ. Every single doctrine. I don't care what your doctrine is or what particular thing you're arguing about, or not arguing about, rather. Every single one of them touch Christ scripturally. Every single one of them. Uh, The resurrection, revelation. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about the second coming of Christ. Um, People take all the warning signs down. All of them. And I just, it's like I get this feeling that I'm that annoying person trying to walk around, put them all back up. And so this has led me to kind of make a conclusion about what I really am going to kind of give myself to, in a sense, because every door elsewhere is closed mainly in some way, shape, or form, tracing back to um, ministries that do not agree doctrinally, which, hey, that's your freedom. But they will not engage in the conversation about it at all. They will not try. I mean, I've run into pastors and stuff who will go on and on talking about how the Mormons are wrong, and they're so dangerous, and we have to try to pluck these ones as brands from the fire and all these sorts of things. And I'd be like, okay, well, do you expect the same thing of yourself? I'd be like, well, what do you mean? Well, you're expecting these people to question their entire worldview, their entire religion, which their entire life is wrapped up in. And you, when you meet them as a stranger, are pushing them to question and examine it. Do you do the same thing yourself? In my experience, I don't know anybody who does that. I don't, especially if they're in ministry and churches. And I and I've I've com- confronted some people about that before, and they're not. They'll say all day, talk about being Bereans, Acts seventeen eleven, and searching out the scriptures, but they themselves will not do it. And if that sounds familiar, you, that should, because it's the how Christ described the Pharisees. And I'm not tying that into legalism or something like that. It's just an observation. And I'm not even saying that those who have made that mistake are not Christians. All I'm saying is that this is very, very dangerous, what has happened in Christianity. My wife and I have been trying for years to find a church. We have lowered our standards so much trying to find fellowship. We can't find it. 
Can't find it. I mean, even my wife one time was, and those of you who heard me, I bash Baptists all the time, though I acknowledge there's many brethren who are Baptists. But I'm, but I'm sorry, I'm going to say that you have very, very big errors, objectively wrong teachings in certain things. I don't care if that offends you, because I used to be a Baptist, and I can say that. And my wife one time was like, well, maybe we should try, you know, because we get so starved for fellowship, to be around brethren who care about the Scriptures, who care about Jesus Christ, who seek Him. And uh, she was like, well, what about this one church? It's called, you know, it has, and the name of the church had truth in it. And you're like, oh, that sounds right up our alley, is what she said. And I was like, honey, I said something to the effect of, honey, I don't want to go because I know how this is going to end. Long story short, we're visiting this church because I knew somebody who goes there. And I'm in, my wife, I think, went with the kids to, she usually goes to, to see the Sunday school classes for the kids and stuff like that. I'm sorry, I don't trust Sunday schools. And I'm sitting in the main sanctuary, and the pastor, who's either the assistant pastor or the head pastor, I can't remember, it pretty much teaches, and he says, yeah, if you murder somebody in 20 years, that's already forgiven. Yeah, that pornography you might watch tomorrow, that's already forgiven. And that was the sermon. That was the message. And so whenever I see people who I know do not believe in the Baptistic or Calvinistic understanding of eternal security or perseverance of the saints, they know that salvation is conditioned on you continuing in the faith. You know, like the Scripture says, right? And they go to churches that teach eternal security, or Calvinism even. And they can sit there and say nothing. Or if they say something, it's privately. I can't do that. I can't sit quietly and have people pervert the Scriptures in a way that can cost someone eternity. I can't do that. Um, even there's a person who I've mentioned in passing over the years. It was a person who went to Bible school and used to get into it with me about eternal security, and he never won, never even came close, and I shook him. And... I'm glad that I had the audacity to look somebody in the face and tell them it was wrong. Because later, that person took their own life. And I'm not going to comment on that particularly. But I'm glad that I said something. That person's blood is not on my hands. I didn't see warning signs that were taken down without me trying to put them back up. And there has been times that I have failed to be as open, to be as forthright as I ought to be. And I think just, 
even today, I was kind of just pushed over the edge and making up my mind about something that I want just to kind of have that clear conscience. You know, the parable of the talents, a talent is not talking about like we think here in the United States English, a talent is like something you're really good at. Um, some people, I think, wrongly think that. A talent was a unit of um, money. And if I remember correctly off the top of my head, it was about a year's wages is what it was. It was not a small sum. It wasn't like a single coin. It was like a bunch of money. And in the parable of the talents, the one thing that I take away from that is, you know, there's one who has 10, there's one who has, one who has five, and one who has two, and then uh, the one who has one, I believe off the top of my head. And the one who did nothing is the one who got in trouble. He did nothing. And what I notice is what the, the Lord did not say, the master of those servants. He did not ask them what they did with it necessarily. At least it's, it's not recorded that way. He, they did something with what he gave them. And even whenever the master says to the wicked servant who did nothing and he hid it, right? He said, if you had at least given it to the, pretty much saying if you had at least put it in the bank, I would have at least had interest off of it. It's pretty much what he says. And I want, and that really resonates with me. And pretty much the principle that I think about from that, and I'm not saying it's the main point of the passage, is that with what the Lord gives you, knowledge and ability, whatever, to what extent do something with it for the kingdom of God? Something. Because doing something is better than doing nothing with it. And even John Wesley, I've quoted before, he said that the extent of your ability and opportunity that's the extent of your accountability. And so I have a desire to teach, for instance. I have a desire to disciple in some way, shape, or form because I want I see how weak Christian professing Christians are. I see how weak the churches are. I can't tell you how many times I go places and I talk to people and they've never even read the whole Bible. I don't I can't fathom that. And people say, well, it's it's you know, it takes time. I understand it takes time. Like 20 minutes a day, you can get through the Bible easily in two years. And so when somebody says that they when they've been saved for 10 years and they've never read a single Old Testament book, I'm sorry, something's wrong. Never before in human history, and especially in church history, especially in Christian history. Has the Word of God been so easily accessible? And yet never before, I think in a long time, has there been such ignorance of what the Word of God actually says. And you know, just you know, I, I think about these things. I stay up late at night and I think about these things. These are the things that bother me. And so there's no real discipleship. People don't know how to be Christians. They go to church, which if that instructed them, if it was real fellowship and instruction in the Word of God, 
I would, I, that's wonderful. And there are churches that are still that way, some, some, some of them, very, very few. Most of them, they're feeding themselves on sand. You know, it's, it'll fill up and it'll make you think that you have a full belly, but it's actually you're slowly starving to death. And so this, this is intense burden that nobody will say that something's wrong. Nobody will stand up and be willing to call a spade a spade. Nobody will have the hard conversations unless it's their denominational preference issue, you know. Go talk to a Calvinist about predestination. They'll talk about it all day long. Go talk to a Pentecostal about the baptism of the Spirit. They'll talk about it all day long. And so this has kind of really led me to a conclusion and just uh, committing it to the Lord. I had started studying for photography and videography um, mainly to start up, Lord willing, in the future, a business to wean myself off of the job that I currently have, which is no small task uh, for the amount you know that I need to make for you know taking care of my family. But in addition to that, also the idea of actually starting a YouTube channel to put out. I don't know what you want to call it, teaching, content, whatever, that way on a larger platform is something that I'm committed that I'm going to do. And I had been kind of working on it for a couple of months, learning things like you have to learn certain software because in my mind, it's the way I do things is I study it for months before I even take the first step. And so, yeah, I've got a lot of the equipment already to do because I'm sorry, I'm not the kind of person who's just going to pull out my phone and do something and put it on YouTube with a vertical video. If I'm going to do something for the Lord, I want to try to do the best that I can. And hey, if that's all that you have, hey, wonderful. Um, and so I am going to be pivoting away from the podcast. I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to close down the podcast necessarily. It may come back into play later to pivot to YouTube. I think that more people can be reached. More people access YouTube, I believe, than others. And instead of kind of the format we've been doing here on the podcast, I'm going to make the primary thrust discipleship. Yeah, I mean, in, it's like I don't want to just start up another YouTube channel that critiques everyone else, that nitpicks, that tries to hop on trendy things I don't care. We have a desperate need of people to be discipled. And most people don't have a single person in their life that they can actually go to and get answers, or at least pointed in the right direction with any degree of capability. And so the thrust of the YouTube channel is going to be built on discipleship, Lord willing. Um, it's going to be starting with the basics so that if somebody knows nothing, they can start listening through. And I'm going to start with shorter videos, 10 to 15 minutes, Lord willing. This is the plan subject to change according to how the Lord leads. And I'm going to build it up over time to from the basics to intermediate stuff. And then from intermediate stuff to longer 
deeper instruction down that if the Lord tarries and, you know, the world doesn't collapse and everything like that and, you know, the fact checkers don't block you from using YouTube or whatever, that somebody can get deep theological teaching. I mean down to, if we get down to it time-wise, the Lord allows, we're going into exegesis and all sorts of stuff. That's the long-term goal. I want there to be something that I can point people to and be like, hey, you need discipled? Start here. If you don't have somebody in your church that can disciple you, here you go. Because there's all sorts of people across our country, even here in the United States, if you're from the United States, it's where I live, they don't have anybody. And some of the ministries that I do like, they have, it's just meat, I feel. I have tried pointing people towards certain ministries that I really like and I support financially, but it's so far above the average new believer's head that they can't get grounded. And it's intimidating. I don't want that. I mean, whenever I talk to people, there's so many people who can't even read in the United States. They don't know how to read. They don't know how to study. They don't know how to connect the passages together. They don't know. People are so ignorant today. And that's not meaning to insult. It's just a statement of fact. We are in a time where people have to be spoon-fed. And they should not stay that way, is my point. I don't think that we should leave people there. You need to grow, and you're only going to grow if you get discipled. You get filled with real things. I can't tell you the difference in the time that I will sit and I will have a Bible study um, here where I am for like an hour and a half with people, and I answer their questions. I point them to the scriptures. I show them what it means, and until I can tell they understand. And then, I mean, I've had people over where I will just sit and read the scriptures through with them for two hours. And their eyes light up. And there's questions that they've had for years that they've never had answered. Basic questions. And so that's the goal for that. And I want it to always be something that it's like in my mind, the way I think about things is you have all these people selling courses now, all these people. It's like it's kind of the market now, the way that education has gone in our country and around the world. It's no longer classical college or local community college type instruction anymore. It's almost becoming becoming completely redundant. There, then it became distance education through online courses and online college, and those things are very useful tools if you need them. And nowadays, everybody and their cousin is developing a course, every YouTube personality. If you're good at something, make a course and sell it. I was looking at a course um, on photography and videography um, yesterday, and the course was going to be like, I think it was like $1,500. And there's even some ministries that I really like, and they sell courses. And you see emails saying like, well, this course valued at $1,000. And I sit there and I'm like, what do you mean? It's, it's ministry. You're selling ministry? And again, I understand the reasoning. I do. 
and there's some of those ministries I still support, but I fundamentally believe in the idea of if it's ministry, you should be willing to do it for free. And people say, well, what about buildings? Well, where does the scriptures tell you you need a building? Hey, a building is a wonderful thing, but don't put it on God or God's people if you want one. If God provides and you can get one, hey, that's wonderful. Then let God be the one to provide. And I'm not saying you shouldn't provide a way and let people know they can give. But I'm saying my conscience will never allow me to charge money for anything like that. It's freely you've received, freely give. And if people want to give, that's wonderful. And I will say that I think I did an episode on this, but not long uh, about you know some months ago, where I s- said it that if you you need to understand as a believer today how much things have changed in the culture and in the world, how much is put on ministries to put out for free. That historically has never been the case. The only thing you had was the local church, you physically going there and hearing it. Or you physically going to a university and being taught. That's the only thing that that we had as Christians for centuries. And now every church is pressured. You got to have a website, you got to have a YouTube channel, you got to live stream to Facebook. You have, you have to have a better sound system, better cameras. Now you got to do a podcast. And every single thing like that, that takes time. And it does take money from churches. So if there's a ministry that you like, support them financially. That should go without saying, but I know that in our culture today, we are so used to seeing these things for free. And people will even get upset if it's not offered for free. And I would say they should be if it's just genuine ministry, but do not assume that you are entitled to anything from some ministry. People who are involved in these things, even if I disagree with certain things, they're dedicating their time and many times their own money to do these things. So support these things financially if you want them to continue. Web hosting and all this kind of stuff It takes time. It takes computers. It takes software. You have to think about these things, okay? Especially cameras. Cameras are expensive if you want something that will actually sit on your HDR or 4K TV or phone and you want it to not look like it was recorded on a Betamax. There's so much pressure on ministries nowadays to compete like that. And people won't show up half the time if they don't. So please think about that. But in my mind, ministry should always be offered free. And so as there's some things on the podcast that I do want to finish, like uh, we were going through Romans, I want that to eventually be reformatted and restarted and finished. It'll be on the YouTube channel eventually. Um, I want there to be um, long-form instruction about doctrine and stuff like that. The the book that I was writing, and I have finished the first draft and everything on it, but it's eventually, when it gets revised and finished and everything like that, and I'm happy with it, I'm kind of a perfectionist, but I need to let that out of the way, it's going to eventually be put out and in some way announced and probably gone through and stuff like that through 
the YouTube channel or whatever. And anything that I ever do that may be structured in a course or anything like that, I don't care. It's going to be out there for free. I My conscience will not allow me to just charge people money. I don't care if it costs me, if it actually cost me a thousand dollars, I'm not going to sit here and put that on you. It's ministry. I mean, it's like I hear, and I was um, this one circle and I, I'll bring this to a close. I've gone way over what I was planning and I've, I've had to sit with married couples before for up to like two or three hours counseling I'm not a professional whatever. I just, I'm a Christian. I'm happily married. And I've counseled a number of people over the years. Um, and I've sat with some for hours. They get late night phone calls and things like that. I'm not even a pastor. And the idea that somebody would do that and they would just charge money for it. He's like, well, I'm a professional counselor. Well, is it your job or is it ministry? Ministry should be free. Now, if a church or ministry can pay somebody, hey, that's wonderful. That's that's the scriptural precedent for that. I'm not saying don't. I'm saying if you are only willing to do things for you being paid for it, don't call it ministry. Just stop. Because you're kidding yourself. If you're not willing to do it for free, don't call it ministry. Now, I'll close this out, and I will, once I get everything together and finished and polished and everything, and the YouTube channel is up and running, I will announce it on the podcast, okay? The podcast has never had a huge amount of listeners anyways. It's usually, like, it accumulates over time, like, over a thousand views, um, but it takes time to get up to that, you know. Um, and in the sea of YouTube content, uh, it's going to be the same thing. It's not going to probably grow into anything. If it does, that would be of the Lord's doing and whoever wants to just push something, you know. Um, but just those of you who know my personality, you know the tenor of what I believe needs to be emphasized, it's going to be over there too. So... Anybody who has listened to the podcast, and if there's something in particular that you want me to bring over from the podcast, a certain topic or episode, or if you have any suggestions for a YouTube channel um, and things like that, along the lines of what I've mentioned, send me an email. Let me know, okay? Uh, my email, it's always been at the end of every podcast. I'm not going to put that uh, tag on the end of this one. Uh, my email for the podcast is Brother John, that's J O N, at Remnant Bible Fellowship. So Brother John, J O N, at then the podcast title.com. Okay. So if you have any suggestions or comments, if you think it's a good idea, or if you think there's something I should be aware of, whatever it is, send me an email and I'll respond. Thank you.